How's everybody doing this morning? I haven't had a chance to speak to you yet. But glad to be here. Kind of a rainy morning, but hey, whatever. We're going to make it anyway. It looks like we're avoiding the people on this side of the room, but, you know, this, this setup here is what it is. So, All right. Pastor's in Florida. He, I got tickled at him the other day. He said, I'm dreading a seven-hour drive with four kids in the car, and I think maybe he's in a room with seven kid, four kids, so it might be worse than driving. He might not want to be here, but... Anyway, think about what I want to do this morning. I asked him, I said, uh, what do you want me to speak on? He said, whatever you want. And I said, oh, good. You know, <laughs> I said, I can cover some ground here, but since I can't breathe, can't talk or anything else this morning, I decided to kind of go along the road that he's going on. And uh, I'm going to take a page out of Brother John Lydon's book. We asked him to go to the prison and preach one time. And he said, how long do I have to preach? And Lucy told him an hour. And she said, he said, well, I only preach about 20, 25 minutes. He said, if you hadn't got it said by then, you're not going to. And if you even if you do, they're not listening after that. So we're going to shoot for about that. But anyway, Lucy told me, well, you better have two sermons because they want an hour. So he did. He preached an hour. But uh, but anyway, going to be in Mark 8, 27 through 38 this morning. Quite a familiar passage of Scripture. You're probably going to think when you first look at it, well, why is he going over this? But uh, just thinking in terms of what's going on in the world. I listen to a lot of speakers on the radio and things and apologetics and just different opinions and attitudes about what the world thinks about Christ and what the world thinks about Christianity. And, and, and talking about responses, just listening to people's responses when they're confronted with the gospel. And kind of entitled what I was talking about today, a right response. And, um, you know, I was thinking about that from, from a secular point of view. If you ask somebody about Jesus, of course, we were talking about people that don't know him or don't. Don't have any association with him. And you get a multitude of, of opinions. Some say he was a teacher. Some say they don't know. Some say they never heard of him. Some say he was a prophet. Some say he was maybe God's son, maybe not, or just a good guy. So you get a variety of opinions from a secular point of view. I even worked with a fellow one time that uh, we were talking about it. And he said, oh, I believe Jesus. He wasn't saved. He said, I believe Jesus is the son of God and everything he says he is. But he said, all the men in my family have gone to hell, and I just guess I'm going to go with them. But he knew, he knew who Jesus was, even though he was lost and wasn't interested. So you even get that opinion, and, and you know, and that kind of, kind of shocks you, but, and so, you know, and some say he was a fake, some say he was a fraud, but you expect that out of the secular arena. I mean, that's just normal. If you look at the religious perspective a little more, you would think, well, this is a little closer, but that's gonna, you're gonna get those opinions and those responses based off of what faith it is. You know, and there's a lot of the pagan fakes around the world that believe in Jesus. But what's the key? What they believe about Jesus. I mean, there's some that will knock on your door here locally. And the first thing you, you say, well, I'm a follower of Christ. They say, well, all we believe in Jesus. But take them a little further and see where they, what they believe about him. And that's one of the keys when we look at this. And so, and so, you know, we fight that battle. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. And so... You talk about the Christian point of view. Now, the word Christian is kind of a scary word nowadays because there's a lot of stuff that comes under that heading. For, for us, I like the word follower of Jesus. But if you look under the Christian arena, you'd think, well, we've got this pretty much refined, but not so fast. I know a lot of y'all know who Bill Stafford is. He was an evangelist we had here several years ago, and I've heard him speak a multitude of times. And he said, when I first went into evangelism, he said, you can go to a town and go to any church there, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Assembly of God, it didn't matter. You got a message that pertained to the gospel in some way. Jesus Christ, the cross, blood, redemption, forgiveness, judgment, and those things that go along in God's love and go along with that. He said, now you can go to three Baptist churches and get three different, three different messages. 
And that's true. I mean, we've changed the way we do things, and things have have uh, gotten different. One one uh, theologian I heard last week, he said, I, I consider America a post-Christian nation. And that's kind of shocking, but if you think about it, Christianity is declining here, and things are declining. And it kind of goes along with what Lyle's been talking about, about us being effective in reaching people. And so when you think about that, you say, well, how that's happening? Well, we've got pastors standing in pulpits today saying the Bible has errors, or maybe it has errors. So we don't really know, so we'll just embrace all opinions rather than, rather than uh, you know, offend someone. And it's a passive view, but the reason that passive view is getting popular is because the pressure is culture is putting on. It's easier when you're trying to grow a church or trying to, to maintain numbers to say, well, we're not sure, or we don't believe this, or that we believe culture has changed and that's no longer relative. One thing you can always remember, what was sin when God inspired this is still sin. Nothing changes. Now, we can change all we want to, and if God was going to change something, he had to put in here at a certain point of time, you know, we're going to change our opinion on this. So it's still sin. And so, you know, and, and what, what's happened in that, it's just easier on pastors. There's, there's a lot of pressure coming now from, from the political arena, from the intolerance arena. And, and as a pastor, you're facing a lot of stuff. I mean, you're, you're trying to grow a church, and somebody says, well, you take this stand or this stand. And so we're having to make some decisions, and that's some of the stuff that, fortunately, in our church, we have a pastor that knows Scripture and stands on it. I know from my point of view, I try to, and I know Jeff even looks at the words of the songs we use in music to make sure they're worshipful and honor God. Our Sunday school teachers, we're all in Bible study in Sunday schools. Our teachers are, so we're blessed here with that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the things I'm pointing out here are us, but they're just general things that we deal with across the board and you have someone looking for a church, and I say, well, this church don't do this or this or this, and you do. So we kind of wrestle with that. Well, it's not just pastors. We've got individuals. You see a lot of individuals who've been in the faith for years. Now, all of a sudden, they're changing their principles as well. Well, I don't know if that applies anymore. I don't know if that's what God meant there. I don't know if we just need to, to do this. And what it is, it's a go-along-to-get-along attitude. And it's just easier. Why? We want to be liked by everybody. That's nature. We do. We're more worried about what man thinks of us than God. We need to understand that there is a place we have to draw the line. And we have to be God's person. And sometimes that might hurt. And even Jesus himself said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Well, if nobody's hating me, I'm probably not being the Christian I need to be or disliking me. So that's one of the things we, we deal with, too. One writer put it like this. He said, we've crafted a Jesus that goes along with our culture today. A Jesus who is at our beck and call when we need help or more stuff. And, you know, I think Lyle touched on that name and claim it thing a few weeks ago where we, we've turned Jesus into our, our material agents. You know, he just gives us what we need when we need it. David Platt, who is a pastor, <clears throat> gave this description in his book, Radical, and I thought it was very good. He said, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and will never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our spin on the American dream. And if you just look across the board in general, that describes more of us than we would like to think. And I'm talking about under the banner of the church and under the banner of Christianity. So when we talk about reaching a lost world, it's no wonder that people 
are struggling and confused. The only thing that's going to get somebody to understand the gospel is a right response to it. And we don't even know how to respond to it. And so they're either trying to sort through all this baggage we've attached to it, or they're just going, those people don't know what they're doing, so I don't need to be a part of that. So it's very critical that we understand who we are in Christ and what that means, and so we can articulate that. And uh, and it's it's so confounded today with all the different opinions and views out there that it, it makes it being a struggle. And people are left wondering. Lost people are left wondering. And it's the one thing that, that God, that Jesus told us to do. He said, reach the lost, take the gospel to the world. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. What does the right response look like? What does, when people come to us and we share Christ with them, what does that look like? When people look at our lives, the way we live, the way we act, the way we treat people, the way we worship, what does it look like? It, it, can they see God in it or they just see motion in it? Do they just see us doing things? And that's the passage we're going to look at. And what happened in this passage in Mark 8, 27 through 38 Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's still got the disciples. He's about to lay the gospel in the hands of these 11 guys in a few minutes. It's going to be 12. And he's got to leave it with them. So he's still at the last minute trying to teach. And, uh, and there's three things in this passage that, that three questions we have to deal with. And like I say, they look simple, but if you dig into them a little bit there, they're not as simple as we think they are. And in the book of Mark, there's three things. I want a couple things I want to point out. The book of Mark does one thing. It presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God and servant of the people. One, Mark 1.1, 1, 1, just, y'all just hang where you at. I'll, I'll be back in a minute. The beginning of, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then in Mark 10.45, this is the theme verse of Mark. You can just mark this one down. And it says, For the, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's a theme verse that you can just tag on Jesus. And leave it there because that was what he did. That's what he come to do. And so when we look at this passage, there's three questions in here. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does he expect of us? And that's one of the biggest. Would you be surprised how many Christians can articulate that very well? So let's back up and look at these verses 27 and 28. Where we're going to start. And he said, they came, to, or I'm going to go through 29. They came to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man and begged, Back on, no, just around, hang on, I'm in the wrong place. Just a minute. 27. I'm about to get a bigger print Bible. I'm getting old. I got a large print at home, but I hated to bring it today. So, I mean, a giant print. So I just graduated. Jesus and his disciples went on the cities around Caesarea and Philippi. On the way, he asked him, who do people say that I am? He wanted their opinion. Some said prophet. Some said, you know, Moses. Some said Elijah. And all those were good, but they didn't come close to who he really is. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? That is an inescapable question that all men, or all women, who understand their sin, in other words, old enough to be accountable, have to deal with that question in their life. You can ignore it, you can reject it, you can act like it's not there, but you will deal with it. The old theme, everybody does something with Jesus, and that's true. And so... Who is he? He was the son of God. And that's the answer he's looking for in this one when he, when he talks about this. It's an inescapable question. Mark 4.41, even the disciples asked that back earlier when he calmed the sea. They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So they've had this on their mind. I mean, they're knowing. So he's got to get them to understand who he is right now and what's going on in his life. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. I think in Matthew, he, Peter said he is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
the Savior. And Jesus says himself in John fourteen six, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the one and only Savior. He is the only Son of God. He is the only way to heaven. Does that sound intolerant? Yes. But he said it, and, and if we and if we carry this Bible around, then we have to believe that what he said is correct. And that's the message we have to give to the world. Is that a well-received message in our culture today? No. It's not. But it's truth. And it's what people have to see and what people have to know. And the one thing I was talking about a minute ago, if you want to know where anybody stands, if somebody's talking to you about another faith, if you're serving them, all you have to do is ask someone, where are you, where do you stand with Jesus? And if he is not what scripture says he is right here, then they're wrong. In a loving, kind way, they're wrong. If he's anything other than the living son of God, born of a virgin, died on the cross, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and he's the only way to heaven, if he's not that, they're wrong. You can lay, I don't care how pretty the faith looks, I don't care how nice the people are, they're wrong. Because Jesus Christ is who he said he was in scripture, always was, always will be. And that's the thing that we have to, uh, to lean on. And so, you know, there's a lot of things, good and bad, then and now, in reference to Jesus, but we all answer this question. There's, there's no way around it. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Who do you say that I am? And, and that's the ultimate question. That's the inescapable question. And, uh, and that message gets filtered nowadays because, you know, you have mainline churches saying, well, we think there's more than one way to heaven. Well, then you've just denied scripture. You can't, you can't do that. Second part of this, as we look at it, is in 29, you see 29 and 30 as well. And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned him not to tell anyone about him. So there's one acceptable answer. And it is. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Savior of the world. That's the only acceptable answer. Anything else, anything added, any other opinion, doesn't count. And as Lyle has been talking about us being effective in reaching people, we have to be relevant. Don't get me wrong. I think we have to see what's going on around us. We need to develop programs and we need to develop, develop missions and, and things that reach people where they are. We need to be effective with people and we need to be relevant with people. But it can't come at the cost of the gospel. Because this is the only thing that saves. And so if we reach a thousand people but we reach them with a flawed truth, then all we've done is reach a thousand people who are still going to end up in hell if they don't know Christ. And, and so that's the challenge for us is to make sure when we present the gospel to somebody that we present the whole gospel. You know, there's a whole lot of, of good and sweet Jesus being presented in churches today without the backside of it. Oh, by the way, if you don't accept, if you don't confess, if you don't clean your sin up, you can't be saved and you will be judged into eternal hell. And that's, that's a tough message. It's a tough one to give to people today. You hate to see, you hate to say that to people because you go, they may not talk to me anymore. They may not like me. And uh, one pastor said one time, this is Bill Stafford said this, and the guy said, well, we're going to run them off. And Bill said, well, where are you running them to? They're already headed to hell. He said, you can't run them no place worse. I'm serious. You think about it. We, we need to look at people and go, they're lost. Whatever it takes to get them to see the gospel is what we're going to do. But who do you say that I am? And, and that's the thing we have to deal with. And, uh, and this is the only thing that's going to help the condition of this world. Look, our world's in a mess. Our country's in And we know that. And it's, it's scriptural. But listen, politicians are not going to do it. World leaders are not going to do it. The only thing that's going to do it is Jesus Christ. Revival in the gospel. Now you can say, well, that can't ever happen. Well, God can do anything. But that's the thing we have to look at. If you're waiting for something else to fix the mess we've got, it's not going to work. 
the gospel will, so why aren't we out there sharing it? Why, why aren't we making that a priority in our lives? And we're like everybody else, and we're caught up in this mainstream of everything that's going on around us. And But that's what the world needs. God and his word has not changed. Culture's changed. Culture can keep changing. When they look at the Bible now and say, well, that, that passage is not relevant anymore. You're wrong. You know, you may, you're wrong. That's all. And it may have, it's, it's because this doesn't change. And that's the thing we have to lock on to and not be afraid to stand up and say it. Then 34 and 35, as we see it down just a little further, then, then he called the crowd to him around his disciples and said, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever wants to lose it loses his life for me, and the gospel will save it. Now, that's a pretty stiff challenge, because what's he saying there when we look at this and, and, and sort through this? Jesus calls us to die to self. When we got saved, when we willfully asked Christ to save us, and he came into our hearts, we did so, or should have done so, with an expectation that he owns us. He bought for us. He paid us. He has a plan for our lives. He has an expectation to live a certain way and to serve the king, do kingdom work. And it's a command. It's not optional. It's not a buffet line that you can pick what you want out of Christianity and leave the rest aside. He said, I've got a plan for you. I've got something I want you to do, to do kingdom work. I had a good friend at a huge church. I won't tell you where it is. You might know something about it. But he said... To give you an illustration, he said, we raised a million dollars in one Sunday morning service. He said, I'm not talking about promissory notes. He said, I'm talking about checks in the plate. We raised a million bucks. And we had to hire over 100 people to work our Bible school because nobody would commit a week of the time. Now, thank God this church here, we've had people take off work, vacation, and everything else to do missions, to do Bible school. We see a lot of good things here. Oh, Randy Brooks, I don't think he's here this morning, but Randy don't get paid when he's gone. He's been to Brazil how many times? That's people sacrificing. But he said, here, they would write me. He said, I can get in. most people in that church to write me a $10,000 check to drop a hat, but they won't give me a week of their time to work with the children. Something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. That's, but that's where we are in this culture today, in this society. So, uh, design of our lives. So there's three basic things that true, uh, that true Christian discipleship has, and it's three basic consensus we need to look at that, that's our challenge, and we just have to, have to, to accept them and like them. Deny ourselves. Our society today is so self-oriented, so self-determining, so self-directed, and just, you know, and, and, and wanting, I, me, mine, you know, self-serving. We are. Hey, nobody loves me more than me. If God didn't keep that in check, I'd be a mess. And you too. Nobody loves you more than you. You can say what you want to, but you love yourself as much as anybody. But it's what we are. We've got to realize it's not us. It's God first, us second. And that's tough. But that's what he said. He said, I have this plan for you. I have something for you to do. And so we have to learn to deny self. We've got to put self second. And we've got to say, whatever God wants, regardless of the cost to me, I may not be able to do this. I may not be able to go here. I may not be able to spend that. And, uh, you know, I bought me an old car a while back, and I'd love to spend $34,000 fixing it up nice. But I can't. I don't have a clear conscience about it. God said, i got a place you can put that money, and you don't need to put it in that car, you know. And so what do you do? You I mean, you know, seriously, if you're listening, those things happen. Now, I can go do it. I might not enjoy it. I don't know. I, I kind of think I would. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, uh, and but that's when God's working, when you consider things and you, and you think about things. 
Secondly, he says, take up your cross and, and, and follow me, which he means that, that's what I said, die to self. And in Luke, let me read you a passage out of Luke. Uh, Luke 12, chapter 9, verse 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what does that say to us as believers? He says, take up our cross daily, die to self daily. What's Romans 1 say? Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice, you can throw it on the altar today, but it's going to crawl back off for tomorrow. Life's going to pull us back in, that battle of the flesh and spirit. So we have to get up every day and say, I'm committing this day to God. I'm committing this day to the Lord, whatever he wants me to do. And he, I may, he may not interfere in my life at all today. I may just have a normal day, or I may end up witnessing somebody that's, that's down and out. You never know. But we have to do that daily. And he also says in, in that, he said, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do sometimes. But we just have to abandon ourselves and say, God, what do you want? What do you want out of me first? And then, and God knows we have to make a living and take care. He's not going to come in and say, well, I'm going to let you slip off and work two hours a day and do mission work. God doesn't do that. It's all, it's all above board, but we have to be sensitive to what he wants us to do and what he, and how he wants us to, uh, to approach things. I've got a fellow at work right now that's lost, a good guy, and I'm praying for him. I told him, I said, come on out to church and I got a word for you. He said, ah, no, you know, he's, but, uh, but he's, he's, he's at least we can talk about it. And I told him, I said, I pray for you every day. He said, probably not doing any good. I said, well, you can't keep me from doing it. And he just laughed. And he said, I love you, man. I appreciate it. I don't know, someday maybe. And uh, so you just, but you just keep doing that. And, uh, and the last one, he says, follow me. Follow Jesus and live a life. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And so, so what's that mean? Be solid. Be committed. Trust and believe. Just understand that I'm, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Accept the call. He demands it. He expects it. He has something for us to do. And the thing that Lyle's been talking about here as far as unity goes and what we're doing, we all have a purpose. We're here together. We're not at this church by accident. But in the same token as a family and put together, we all have an essential part here. And if we're going to be effective, we have to be together, but we all have to supply our part and do that. And and that's that's the thing that challenges us every day, to, to make sure... That we're giving to the kingdom work what we need to give to it. And that's the secret to growing a church. But more than that, that's the secret to reaching lost people for Christ. You start winning lost people to Christ, your problems in a church will disappear. Your growth problems will disappear. Your talent problems will disappear. Your money. If we start reaching people. I was in a church one time and we had people coming and getting saved. And every time we needed something, it showed up. We was trying to raise $19,000 for a parking lot one time. That would be like raising 100000 here. And a new guy come in the church about three weeks before that. We know nothing about him, and he wrote a check for half of it. Had no idea he was even going to come to our church. God knew what we needed. I mean, he works that way if we learn to trust him. And, you know, and he says, in a fallen world, we need the gospel. And he, in this next verse, he talks about it here. And he's talking about being ashamed. And you think about this for just a minute. He said, what can a man, he talks about it. First, he talks about what is good for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Well, what price on a man's soul? There isn't a price. There's nothing more important than someone's soul. And so that's what he's talking about here. When he's talking to the disciples, he said, there's nothing more important than what you do to win people to Christ, to win people to me, because there's no price on a soul. There's no value on a soul. And he said, what can you give a man in exchange for it? And he said, but if anyone is ashamed of me and my words and his adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory and the holy angels. 
So he's kind of, he's talking about lost people there. He said, if you're too ashamed of me in this world to honor me and to accept me, when the day comes, and the day will come when every individual, I don't care what you believe about him, you're going to see him face to face, we're going to deal with him. He said, I won't remember you. I will be ashamed of you, and you'll, and, and you'll end up, and you'll end up in judgment. And so, and he's very plain about that when he looks at this passage. And he said, I just, you won't be a part of what I'm doing. And then, but, but here's kind of as we look at this, and uh, the rock in the road for us. And under the, banity, under the banner of Christianity, the church day, we have a multitude of practices and beliefs and interpretations. And a lot of them are wrong and misleading. We're misleading people. We're, you know, there's, you can just turn on the TV and see different shows and you're going, that's, that's not true. That, that room is full of people, but what they're being told is not true. And a study of Scripture supports that. And, you know, the issues are visible. So why is it so rapid? It's, it's because I think a lot of times we slack off on standing up. And so the, the banner for us is, is to stand up, to be proud, to be public, to, to be professional, be personal about it, saying, I love Jesus. I don't know if any of y'all saw this a while back, you know, I'm... I hate to even talk about him. It's so aggravated with his NFL stuff. I could scream. But uh, Carson Wentz, who is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, and you don't know much about him. I didn't either, but it was on a little thing online today. They asked him about it. He said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm listening to everybody talking about what they love, what they cherish, what's important to them. He said, well, let me tell you where I'm at. He said, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, and that's what I'm going to talk about every time you all ask me. He said, we'll see how far that goes. And they didn't talk to him no more, you know. But he did. But thank God, somebody said, I love Jesus, if y'all want to talk about something. You know, he had enough enough class about him to do that. But, uh, and you know, but again, the problem is, it's easy, or it's much easier to build a church, to maintain a congregation, do those things, when we're not out there, that pointed spear on this stuff. When we go along to get along, when we let things just kind of all mull over, and go, well, I don't know about that, so we'll just wait and see. We're not willing to take on the tough stuff, you know. And uh, passage in John, that I want to read for you just a minute. We'll be through in just a minute. I told you it wasn't going to be long because I'm short on voice today as well. And i got to do this again unless one of y'all want to. So, <laughs> Excuse me. I can't talk well. First John 2, 3 through 6. We'll give you just a minute to get there if you're going. I'd like for you to look at this verse just a minute. It's kind of incredible. That we read this and don't think about it, but it speaks boldly. First John 2, 3 through 6. Yeah, First John 2, I'm sorry, 3 through 6. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, I didn't say that. Scripture did. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. But for the Christian, that's pretty clear, isn't it? We've got a way that God expects us to live. And it's in this book. Walk as Jesus did. Be the kind of person Jesus was. And, and that's the challenge if we want to be right to this world. And that's the challenge if we, if we want to be effective. <clears throat> A right response. Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's the joy of my life. He is, he is the only way to heaven. Those are the things we present. Now, we never do that in a judgmental fashion. We don't have the right to do that in a mean fashion, mean-spirited, angry. 
We never do. We love people beyond everything. And even with the issues, the immoral issues we're dealing with in the churches today, it's not about people. It's not personal. It's about what's right. It's about what's wrong. But it's about loving individuals. And if we can ever get to get that sorted out and do that, I've seen people that say, well, you know, I don't agree with him and he don't agree with me, but I know he cares about me. That's when you're getting somewhere. Because you can do a lot more with a person. Just like that guy at work. He's not really interested in church, but he knows, he knows I love him to death like a brother. And he, know, and he said that. He said, man, I know you, I know you care about me. He said, I, you know, he had a tough past. He lost a child when he was young. And so there's just a lot going on in him. But he knows I love him and care about him. And that's, that's the secret. That's part of the, part of the deal when, when we, when we do this. You know, we'll answer with our lives for what we've done. We all, we all, even Christians, we're going to answer for what we did with what God gave us. And we know that. And so the challenge is for us is to stand up and do it. The challenge for us is how are we going to respond? How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond? How is the church going to respond? And I say, as a church, I think we respond well. But all of us, God is calling all of us to do more and more to reach lost people because that's, that's the joy of being involved in a church. We can come every week like we're coming, have a good time and worship and take care of each other and praise God and nothing wrong with that. It's not near as fun if you look around, you got six, eight people got saved last month and six, eight people more or less. And you're going, these are people that was going to hell. These are people that the devil don't get now. To me, that's the challenge of this passage and the challenge of what Lyle's talking about. You know, everything's against us. Culture's against us. Sin's against us. Satan's against us. The government's against you. But Jesus is for you. And that's all you need to worry about. But we need to get, we need to understand that we've got a calling and we have got a, a way to live that God not only expects, but I think he commands. That sounds kind of dogmatic, but I, I don't see any options there. I don't see how you can get around that. You know, we, I heard the same old evangelist Bill Stafford one time he was talking about that. He said, those, that lifestyle should be a natural outflow once we're saved. He said, if you go down to the pound and get a puppy, the one thing you don't have to do is teach that dog to bark. He knows how to bark. It's a natural response. Same thing with Christians. If our life is truly rooted in Christ and saved, and we, when we truly understand what that means, we're gonna, we're gonna, our lives are gonna flow in it. Are we perfect? No. Are we gonna get it all right? Are we always gonna do it? No, we're not. But to say that I get up on most days and I try to make sure that my life is in tune with what he's doing, that he knows that I'm here and I'm available if he wants to use me. And, and that's the challenge. And it is a challenge in our world today. But it can be done. And God will bless it. Amen. Father, thank you for this morning. And just pray that in this short time that you've impressed on our hearts and your word that what you've called us to do. To live a life that honors you. To live a life, Father, that uh, reaches out to the world around us. That holds the truth. It's not going to always be easy. People are going to despise us. People are going to hurt us. People are going to talk about us. But, Father, to present the truth to people who are willing to listen, that they might be saved and spend an eternity in heaven with us. And, Father, for that we give you the power and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.